I love that story. I love that they showed up at a Captain D's for some lunch, and next thing they know it, they're leading a small group, and uh, so, so excited to have you guys here. My name is Josh Surratt. Uh, I serve as a lead pastor here at Seacoast, and if I haven't met you yet, uh, so glad you're here. I know a lot of you may be new here in the new year, and I want to encourage you, and Ramsey and Beverly said it best, if, if the only thing that you're experiencing at Seacoast is the weekend, that we love the weekend here, it's great, but you're not really getting the full benefits of Seacoast Church. It's when you know some people, you're, you're growing in your faith with a group of people that you really begin to experience the true meaning of what it is to be a community of believers doing life together. So it's Connect Weekend here and at all of our campuses. By the way, we're glad all of you are with us as well. Can we give it up here in Mount Pleasant for all of our locations that have joined us today? We love you guys. Uh, it's Connect Weekend. And so um, this is the, the time. Uh, as you leave your campus, there are all kinds of people out in the foyer uh, leaders that would love to connect you into a small group, and we really do hope that you'll take that step. Uh, it's also a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting here at Seacoast, and just want to encourage you, maybe you don't have any experience with that, uh, but it's a time where we're kind of leaning in and trying to hear from God and kind of eliminating some of the stuff that feeds our flesh and trying to focus on some stuff that feeds our spirit, and so it's a great time to, uh, to jump into that. I have a question as we jump in. How many of you have ever visited a historic battleground? Any of you ever done that? It's so powerful. I remember going to Israel, and we were up at an overlook looking out over the Valley of Elah. And this is the battleground where David fought Goliath. And there's something sacred about standing in a battleground, realizing that there was bloodshed, that there was a victory won, there was a, a, a loss that occurred. Battlegrounds are powerful. Some of you have been to Gettysburg. I've been to Gettysburg, and I just remember just how sacred and solemn it felt. You could almost see and hear Abraham Lincoln giving these words at the Gettysburg Address, and you think about the thousands of people that lost their life and the blood that was shed on that ground. Normandy, of course, you think about the, these teenagers running out onto the beach, but it's where the, the World War II turned, and there's just something sacred about battlegrounds. You know, in our world today, there are a lot of battles that are currently being fought. There are nations that are at war with each other uh, that's concerning. Most of us have paid some attention to what's going on there, there is, I don't know if you knew there was an election coming up this year, uh, might be news to you, uh, but there's a political battle that'll be fought. There are all kinds of battles. There's racial battles that continue to be fought and ideological battles that are being fought in our world today. And we're in a series right now called Battlegrounds, and we really do want to equip the church to fight the right battles and to fight with the right weapons in these battles. Next week, Pastor Joel's going to talk about putting on the armor of God and how do we fight with that. And then in a couple of weeks, Pastor Greg's going to talk about the right posture to have in these fights. But today, we're going to discuss a battle that probably will impact our lives more than any of the battles that are happening out there. And that's the battle that's happening in our own soul, in our own lives. The battle between two selves. Did you know that every day when you wake up, there's a battle that's being fought? There's a part of you that wants to do good and do the right thing, and then there's a part of you that really enjoys doing the wrong thing. And if you don't believe me, let me illustrate it this way. I mentioned we're fasting. Uh, I still get hungry from time to time, and so I'll go over to the grocery store uh, right here next to the church, and, and I'll want an afternoon snack. And there's a part of me 
that when I go to that store, I know what I want. I want to grab me something from the produce section. This is a Honeycrisp, by the way, the very best apples that there are, Honeycrisp apple. And, and there's a part of me that wants to go and eat this apple because I know that if I do that day in and day out, ultimately it's going to produce good results in my body. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to look good, all of that stuff. And so there is a part of me, and it is Josh Surratt that really does enjoy going in and making the right choice, buying the apple. But there's another part of me. And that part of me, when I go over to that same grocery store, I want to go to a different section. Come on, somebody. Do I have any Oreo fan? Ladies, see? See? There's a part of me that wants to go and grab a box of Oreos. And you may notice, not a regular box, but the family size. And I want to, I want to feed myself with some Oreo cookies. And that's Josh Surratt, too. He wins more often than not. But, but the reality is, they say, by the way, it's only 160 calories in these things. Until you look at the serving size, you know, the serving size is three cookies. That's garbage. Ain't nobody eating three cookies. There's three rows of cookies. That's a serving size in my book, right? But, but that's me too. Like there's a part inside of me that loves Oreos and I love eating things that are bad for me. And I don't love the long-term results that they produce, but I certainly enjoy the moment when I do it. And there's this battle every time I walk in of which one is going to win. We all face battles. Some of us, there's a, there's a part of me that I want to get up early. I want to go to prayer. I want to go to the gym. And there's a part of me that really loves sleeping in, that really enjoys staying in bed and hitting the snooze button. You know, some of you can identify with the Friday night version of you that's often at odds with the Sunday morning version of you. You know, there's a part of you that really enjoys kind of living for, for your flesh and kind of enjoys sin. Listen, I'm your pastor. There's a part of me that really likes sin. None of us would struggle with it if it wasn't fun, right? But then there's a part of you that loves being in God's presence and loves growing spiritually. Some of you have battled addiction. There's a part of you that wants nothing to do with alcohol ever again in your life. And then there's a part of you that is drawn towards it. There's a part of you that, that hates pornography and lust and that sexual sin, but then there's a part of, of your heart that is drawn towards evil, drawn towards sin. It's a battle that happens inside of all of us. All of our battles are different, but everyone who is here today, if we were being honest, there's a battle going on between two selves, a party that wants to do good and a party that wants to do bad. And the good news is that you're not alone. Not only is your pastor struggle with some of these same battles, but the apostle Paul We'd like to think the apostle, like once you get that label, you're kind of graduate from struggling in these ways. But look what he said in Romans chapter seven. This is super encouraging to me. He says in verses 15 and 19, he said, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do this. I keep on doing. Does that encourage anybody else today that the apostle Paul had the same struggle? There's a part of me that wants to do good. There's a part of me that wants to do bad. There's this inner battle going on in my lives. I don't know if my life, I don't know if you've ever read the book or seen the movie, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Did you know that that novel was written by a guy named Robert Louis Stevenson? And it was written based off of Romans chapter seven, the, the verses that we just read. 
And, and, and Dr. Jekyll, if you remember, uh, he's this really fine, upstanding citizen. He's a guy that's involved in, in the community. He's serving. He's helping kids. He's this great guy. But he's frustrated because it seems like inside of him is a bad part and a good part. And you can identify with this. The, the bad part is always ruining the good part because there's this draw to doing evil. But the good part's also kind of cramping the bad part style. Like I'm trying to enjoy my sin and there's this conscience in me that won't let me do it. And so he's frustrated. But thankfully, he is a chemist. He calls himself an incongruous compound, uh, which those of you that know chemistry can understand that. It's like this mixture of things that don't work well together. And so he decides that he's going to develop a potion that completely separates the good parts and the bad parts. So during the day, he's Dr. Jekyll. He's serving people. He's sitting on boards of organizations. He's making things happen. And then at night, he becomes evil, all evil. And his name is Mr. Hyde. By the way, the word Hyde comes from the derivative of the words that we get hidden and hideous. And here's the truth about evil. Evil always likes to be hidden. Evil is always going to drive you towards isolation and hiding. But but what he realizes is that Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they're, when they're separated, he realizes that the evil parts of him were way more evil than he ever thought possible and more powerful than he ever thought possible. And here's what the author says through the words of Dr. Jekyll. He says, I discovered through this process that man is not truly one, but two. It wasn't that I was a hypocrite. Both sides of me were completely sincere. Can you relate to that? It's like, it's not that they were two different people. It's just that both, both sides of me were truly me. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Part of you that wants to do the right thing, another part that wants to do the wrong thing. Well, today we're going to talk about the inner battle. Before we get on to all the other battles, the ex exterior battles, how do we reconcile this inner battle. And here's the outline for those of you that need it up front. Number one, there's a battle that you cannot win. Number two, there's a battle that you cannot lose. Number three, make sure you're fighting the right battle. There's a battle that you cannot win. That's what Paul was talking about. And in, in Romans 7 and 8, he talks about the struggle with these battles. And when he talks about the battle that, that he cannot win, He's describing for him, it's a battle between uh, the law and him. It, but it's not just the law. It's not the law is bad, but he's this religious guy. And he's, he's realizing that if he's using the law to make himself feel right with God, to make himself feel good about himself, to make himself feel approved, it's a battle that he just cannot win. And we all have this battle. Now, you may not deal with the same law that he dealt with, but we all have this moral compass, this idea of if there are certain things that I do well, I'm going to feel better about myself. I'm going to feel approved. And, and maybe I'm going to even feel like God likes me. God wants to be around me. And so I want to read what he talks about. It's a little deep in theology, but I'll, I'll try my best to explain it. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every, every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. What's he saying there? 
My 10-year-old is fasting uh, sugar during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Her first day of school, uh, on Monday, first day of the fast, her teacher put two starbursts on every kid's desk. And how many of you know that if you want a kid to not do something, the best thing you can do is tell them to do something, right? Because there's something about our nature that, and that's what he's saying. The law isn't bad, but the law helped him to see how bad he was. It's like when you say don't do something, everything in us wants to go and do it. So he's describing this kind of relationship that he has with the law. Then he says, once I was alive apart from the law. So before I knew it was wrong, I felt pretty good about myself. But when the commandment came, spring came, uh, sin sprang to life and I died. It killed me. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which was good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. What does all of that mean? I know it can be a little bit confusing. See, what you have to know about Paul is that before he was Paul, he was a guy named Saul and God changed his name when he became a believer. But the Saul version of him was very religious Sometimes we think that being in church and being religious makes us right with God. And that's kind of where Saul was. And he prided himself. He had the the, the law, the Ten Commandments. Let's summarize it there. It was beyond that, but the Ten Commandments. And he's like, man, I am crushing it. I'm I'm, I'm no idols in my life. Uh, I'm treating my parents with respect. Uh, I haven't murdered, although he was a part of persecuting Christians, but he felt like it was justifiable murder because of some of the Old Testament laws. I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't lie. I'm doing really good. He was very self-righteous is the word that the Bible uses for that. He felt really good about himself and how God viewed him because of the way he, he, he committed the, or, or, or held up the law. Well, well, it says that the, the tenth commandment coveting came to him one day. Well, we know that he probably had this all memorized by the time he was five. So it's not that he didn't know the 10th commandment, but he looked deeply at the 10th commandment and he realized, oh my gosh, I'm getting all of this right, but I can't win with this one because this one deals with my heart, right? Coveting, do not covet. Yeah, that that means that I not only have to get it right with my actions, but I have to be right in my heart because we all know that The reason you steal, the reason you lie, often the reason you commit adultery is because you're coveting. What does coveting mean? We don't use that word a ton. It's this desire, but it's not wrong to have desires or wants, but it's when they become idols for us. When we feel like I can't be happy unless I have this, I can't be fulfilled, I can't be satisfied. And and so this creates this major crisis in Paul's life where he's like, I'm dead. I, I, I can't do this. I had banked on being right and feeling good about myself and being approved by getting all of this stuff right, and I, I can't do it. One version says that it slayed me. It just it, 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 it crushed him, realizing that he couldn't. And the principle is this. If you're trying to do more good than bad, we all have some kind of scale that we live by. There's some things that you're trying to do to feel better about yourself, to feel approved, to feel like a better person, 
it's a law, it's, it's a battle that you cannot win. It's a battle that you cannot win. Uh, right after Christmas Eve services, I got sick uh, and I started to feel bad on Christmas Day. And I tried to convince myself that I wasn't sick, that it was just fatigue from all the services and all of that. And but about four days later, Lisa kicked me out of the house, said, you're going to the doctor, you're sick. And I go and sure enough, they test me and I've got the flu. And I was bummed, disappointed, but it, it, it kicked my butt. It put me on my butt for about 10 days. And finally, the new year's here and it's Tuesday of the new year. We're all back at work. I'm supposed to be preaching the first weekend of the year. And so I decided I am going to not be sick anymore. Like I'm just done. I'm not being sick. I feel weak, but I would tell myself, Josh, you're not weak. Get your butt up and go. So I had my first meeting of the year and I'm telling guys, yeah, I had the flu, but I'm better now. And I'm sitting down trying to work on message. But here's what happened is the harder that I tried to not be sick, the more sick I got. And by the end of the day on Tuesday, I finally was like, I cannot do this. So I called Adam Martin, who was supposed to preach this weekend. And because Adam is uh, one of those guys that's always like very prepared, he was like, oh yeah, my message is done. I'm like, all right, well, you're up this weekend. And he did a great job. But it wasn't until I stopped and asked for help and actually acknowledged I, I can't make myself better, had people come into my life and help, then I actually started to recover. Why do I tell you that? What, what Paul is saying is that just like I can't make myself better physically, we can't make ourselves better spiritually. Like we can't will ourselves to be in a good spot. We can't win these battles. And there's some of us that were coming up into 2024 and we're trying to beat the same addiction that we were trying to beat in 2023 and 2022. And the reality is we, we can't, we can't, we can't gain God's approval by doing the right thing. That is a battle that you cannot win. It's a battle that you cannot win. Are you ready for some better news? So there's a battle that you can't lose. And, and he talks about this at the end of chapter seven. And then as he goes in, to chapter eight. There's a battle you can't win. There's a battle you can't lose. Romans seven, verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Do you know the irony of the Christian life is the key to winning the battle is getting to a place where you realize you can't. The key to winning the battle is surrender. And that's where he gets to. He finally says, I, I can't, I'm, I'm wretched. I'm sinful. I cannot do this. But then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the key to fighting the battle that you can't lose is surrendering. Is stop trying to, to do things for approval and learn to live from approval. You're still going to fight battles. You're still going to want to do the right thing. But when, when you're doing the right thing, because you've been approved, because you've received the grace of Jesus, and now you actually have a new spirit living inside of you, it's a whole different fight. I remember when I got married, I went into my marriage with a battle that I'd never really told anybody about. Uh, when I got married, I was bound in lust and pornography and just couldn't get out of it. I didn't tell anybody. Remember Mr. Hyde? is going to convince you to hide. But it's not that I wasn't a Christian at that point, but I was fighting a battle that I couldn't win because I was convinced that I could figure it out on my own. Every time I would struggle, I would tell myself, that's the last time. This isn't a big deal. We got this. You can do this. You can overcome it. But I couldn't. 
And it wasn't until about three years into my marriage that it finally came into the light. And it wasn't because I was this noble guy. Lisa found it. And it was like, man, it, it, it was so hard. But it was my moment that Paul just had where it was, what a wretched man am I? I, I can't do it. I can't win this fight. And it wasn't until I acknowledged it and brought some people into my life that I actually began to experience victory. And, and I, I tell you that for, for two reasons. Number one, I believe that there's a part of every one of us that's here today that you have a deep desire to be fully known. Like you want to be able to be yourself. You want to be fully known. And you also have a deep desire that you want to be fully loved. And for me, when my desire to be fully known and fully loved came into conflict with each other, I decided to fake who I am so that I could be loved. And it's a battle that I, I couldn't win. And when I finally felt like, okay, the worst parts of me are on the table, I thought that my marriage was going to be done and I thought my ministry was going to be done. And when Lisa looked at me and said, okay, like this is who you are. Let's fight this battle together. When she stayed, it was a picture for me of what the gospel is, that Jesus loves us fully. And not that Lisa is Jesus, because she's not. She's awesome, but she's not perfect. But in that moment, her staying, saying, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to fight this together. It was now a totally different fight. It was a, a fight that invited people into it. It was a fight that was, I, I knew I couldn't win it on my own. I knew I needed the grace of Jesus, and I needed some people into my life. And now for over 15 years, I've walked in victory in this area of my life because it's a battle that you can't lose. It's a battle that you can't lose. And, and here's, here's where the best part of it is. All right, I, I want to show you what Paul says. He gets to this place. I'm fully surrendered. I can't do it. Thanks be to God. And then Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. I just want you to, I want these verses to sink so deep into your, your soul that you can't get away from them. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his only son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. See, Jesus did what we couldn't do. It's so basic. But y'all, as, as, as your pastor, I don't want this to be a church that just helps you get better at a battle that ultimately you're going to lose. We've got to understand that freedom comes through what Jesus did on the cross. And when we begin to experience that... We begin to live a victorious life. And it's not just that Jesus, I mean, that, that's a big enough deal, right? But the Bible says, Jesus said, when we become a, a believer, we become born again. There's a new spirit now that's living in us. And that new spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So victory is ours. And when we fight the right battle, when we fight the battle that we cannot lose, we know that it's going to be a fight. 
Uh, it's almost like uh, I was at the retreat at Church Creek a few months ago. We were having dinner and outside there was a big commotion and the staff had found like a five foot long copperhead snake. And so they killed it. They cut the head off of it, but they were out there and they were digging a hole in the yard. They were burying the head. Why? Because hours after a snake is killed, it can still bite you and, and put venom in your body. So we live in these sinful nature is what Paul talks about. It's dead, but it still wants to produce death in our life. So it's still a battle, but now it's a battle that we cannot lose. Ultimately, we can't lose it because one day we're going to get new bodies and we're going to be heaven and we're going to be fully uh, free from all of the things that these old bodies uh, have held us in bondage in. But we also have victory in this life. We, we learn how to feed the spiritual man and learn how to start. That's why we're fasting. So we learn how to starve the things in our flesh and feed the things in our spirit. And ultimately, knowing that we're fighting a battle that we cannot lose changes everything about how we fight. I'm reminded of a story from World War II. And you had Winston Churchill, of course, who was the prime minister of England, and he was leading England, and it was a very, very dark time for them. They were now being bombed by the Nazi army, and things did not look good at all. And then something significant happened, Pearl Harbor. We got attacked by the Japanese in Pearl Harbor. And so uh, Churchill calls FDR after the attacks on Pearl, Pearl Harbor. And here's how he describes this. Uh, he says, here's what FDR said. He said, well, we are all in the same boat now. He said, we're, we're in the war with you. We're in the war with you. And here's the quote from uh, Churchill later. He wrote this in his memoir. He said, no American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing the U.S. was on our side was the greatest joy to me. England would live. Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. Isn't that powerful? Knowing that the U.S. Army was now a part, he knew it was, it was just a matter of the proper application of force that the victory would be won. Was there still a battle to be fought? Yeah, there was still a lot of battle to be fought. But he slept the sleep of the saved and thankful because he knew that he was on the winning side of the war. I want you to sleep the sleep of the saved and thankful. I want you to know that no matter what battle you're facing. If you will come to a place of surrender, God, I can't do this on my own. I don't want to try to live my life for your approval. But when I fully surrender, when I receive the free gift of Jesus, who did all the things that we couldn't do, including dying as a sacrifice for our sin. Now I learn how to live from approval. My relationship with the law is very different. It's, it's not that the law was ever bad. The law's always been good. But if you think back to when the law was given, God saved them and rescued them from slavery before he gave them the law. The law was never intended to get us right with God. He saved us first. The law was intended to help us. Now our relationship with the law is we're going to learn how to live according to God's standards, and we're going to have to live in victory, not for his approval, but because of his approval, because we have a God who is for us. He later says in Romans 8, I think it's 31. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Guaranteed victory. 
There's a battle that you can't win. Some of us have been fighting that battle. Now, I would, I would just challenge you as we close today. Are you fighting a battle that you can't win? Are you trying to get more right than wrong? Are you trying to balance the scales of your good works? You just, you can't win it. That's not how you gain God's approval. Jesus has already done that. Have you received the free gift of salvation? We'll talk about a lot of other things and how to fight well and how to live in victory, but it starts with making sure that you're fighting the right battle. Would you guys bow your heads as we close in prayer? Here and at the campus, I want to pray. I want to pray for two different groups of people. Number one, there are many of us that are here today, and we just need to surrender. We need to wave the white flag. I can't do this. I can't win on my own. My, my own willpower isn't going to make me well. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you with a simple prayer that just says, God, I surrender. God, I'm not going to try to win this battle on my own anymore. I'm not going to let my pride stay in the driver's seat. I'm going to humble myself. And for some of us, that may look like sharing some things, just whatever it looks like for you to say, what a, what a wretched person I am. I cannot do this on my own. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in prayer. God, we surrender to you. God, I don't want to fight a battle that I can't win anymore. Lord, I want to receive the gift of salvation that you came to give. Would you make me a new person? Would you place your spirit inside of me that will give me the power that I need to overcome the battles that I'm facing? God, I give my life to you. I give my life to you. God, there are many of us that are saved, but we need rescued again. We're in a battle, God, and, and we know that it's a battle that we have ultimate victory in. And God, I'm asking you that by the same power that saves us, that you would bring victory in our lives, that you would break the chains of addiction in this place right now in Jesus' name. God, that you would break the chains of uh, sickness and illness in our bodies, that you would bring healing. You said you came, Jesus, to set the captives free, to heal the sick, Lord, to set the prisoners free. God, we just pray that you would do that. Bind up the brokenhearted, Lord, that you would bring your power, the proper application of force. God, we need your power at work in our lives. Would 2024 be a different year for us? Would it be a year that we live in victory? that we live in the victory that you've already paid for. God, we love you. Help us to fight the right battle. Help us to live in victory in Jesus' name. Amen.